0: We've spent the past few weeks in a series called Meet Your God with a sub-series, Meet Our Father and Our Son. Today, we begin a sub-series, Meet the Holy Spirit. Join us. Probably one of the most misunderstood persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? What is His role, His function? What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? These are questions we hope to answer over the next couple of weeks as we continue with our series, Meet Your God, and our sub-series, Meet the Holy Spirit. Understanding who God the Father is and God the Son has been the subject of our time over the past few weeks, and today we look at the Holy Spirit. Join us for some clarity and clarification on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules.
1: When you were saved, you were put in a community of people called the saints. You were put into the household of faith. Christianity is not just you. You're in a community of believers. And most of the injunctions to the spirit-filled life is said what we do in community, not what we do individually. You have to be a part of it, but just to know what we do, and so we'll get there next week. Um, let's uh, look at the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. We began that last time, and uh, let me say this: that when we talk about salvation, we can talk about the these kinds of works of God—a uh, redemption, reconciliation, justification. Propitiation. Magnificent terms, magnificent theology. But when you talk in those terms, you're talking about salvation objectively. It's kind of out here, the great transaction God pulled off at the cross. When you get to the Holy Spirit and what He's doing, it becomes very subjective. It's something that happens in the experience. And you have this uh, dichotomy tension in groups. They want everything that's objective, propositional, and they can handle anything as long as it's not an emotion or an experience. Because that sounds a little wild. Who knows what that could be? But salvation is highly experiential also. It is not just justification by faith and this great, for instant judicial transaction that happened out here and I'm never moved by it. I never find out about it. It never affects me. Oh, no. When you come to the work of the Spirit, these are things we become aware of in our experience. You know, you hear people say this kind of stuff. Now, and uh, I'm not on any uh, trip here to chase anyone down, but I, I never knew when I was saved. Now, that, if you mean by that, you don't know the exact date, you don't know night, or, or it was not some just climactic, you know, experience, some mountain high experience, that type thing, uh, that may be qualified. But to say, I'm saved and I never knew when I got saved. Or I've just always been saved. We'll hear that sometimes in interview. I've always been saved. i said, oh, no, you haven't. <laughs> you have not always been saved. Well, I've always been a good girl. No, you haven't. You might have been a good girl that was lost, you know, but never having the merit of Christ. When did you become a believer? Well, I just grew up into the church. It makes me nervous. I may not be able to, I think theologically I could probably win the argument. There's some point in time when you get eternal life. Now, you may not have that memorized on a calendar, and don't write me any mail. I won't read it. (laughs) just let me have my own heresies here. I, there's, is there, if this thing happens by the Holy Spirit, that it's applied to you. Other words, I never remember any difference. I just woke up, I'm going to heaven today, but I didn't feel anything. No, I know if you're saved at five, you wouldn't feel a big load fall off. <laughs> I, I'm aware of some of that stuff. My kids got saved early too. But, uh, We need to know that because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings it experiential, a dimension that's happening in you. First of all, we talk about the whole work of the Spirit to bring you to Christ and the great work he did for you. The Spirit's involved in convicting. He's involved in begetting this new life that you feel a washing taking place like a bath. You get that language in John 3, born of water and spirit. I get cleansed. Titus, the bathing or the bath of regeneration. Christ takes and he bathes his church and cleanses it. Uh, The new birth, the spirit is totally involved in that gift of life that you receive. uh, The gift of faith and this reception that my sins are forgiven. Great work of the Spirit in just bringing you to Christ, working there, guiding you, and bringing those influences. So then we move there that once you become a believer, you find out a transaction has taken place. And I think just look at 1 Corinthians 6, a marvelous, marvelous passage. And i I like to set it up for you. Can you just put your hand there? Right? You just, you do it like this. And then you turn back. And just so you, go back to Ezekiel with me. Ezekiel 8. One of your favorite passages. And uh, Ezekiel 8 is about idolatry in the temple. Uh, The people of Israel were getting into idolatry. And the prophet is upbraiding them for it. And... uh, Notice verse 6 of Ezekiel 8, 6. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. Chapter 9, verse 3. Now the glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. From the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies, he's moving now outside, and he's here at the threshold of the temple. Chapter 10, he shows that glory leaving. Uh, In verse 4, then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. Verse 16, then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. Chapter 11, verse 22, then the cherubim with the wheels beside them spread their wings and the glory of the God of Israel was above them the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. What Ezekiel is recording is Israel's idolatry has brought the removal of the Shekinah presence of God. God is moving from the temple and eventually moves out of the city, the city of his name, Yahweh Shalom. And he's outside east of the city. He's left them. It's the departure of the glory of God. And what is a horrendous thing is that Israel, as a people, have lost temple. They have synagogue that grew up during Maccabean era and in their dysphoria. But they lost temple. They lost the sense you could go to a place and there's this undiminished presence of God. This high priest in the Holy of Holies. They lost that through being dispersed to the nations. And so they begin to meet in synagogue and study Torah and meet together. But not the sense of the overwhelming presence of God anymore. That left. And the issue that is just hanging in the Bible is where did that presence ever show up again? Only two places. Jesus Christ was said to have the fullness of deity dwelling in him bodily. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. All the fullness of the Godhead tabernacled in him. And it's the language of the tabernacle. The Jewish mind knew it. And they use that in John 1, 18. I have come and tabernacled out among you. They knew what he was saying. The presence of God you'll find in me. I've become the tabernacle where God manifests his glory on the earth. But when that tabernacle was removed back to the third heaven with his resurrection, where can you go to find the presence of God today? Two places. Hold right there, first place is First Corinthians 3. This is the corporate aspect. Verse 17, 317. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you, plural, as a local church, constitute a temple. That's you, plural. He's talking about you, as a local church, constitute a sacred dwelling place of God. You know what we ought to expect when we meet in assembly like this? We ought to be expecting the unseen, invisible presence of God. Too mystical for you? You're just unbiblical. You've gotten used to Protestant church that's dead as a doornail. And you can go to hell straight from it because there's no life. Where God's working, there's something so unusual about a saint gathering. There is no other meeting on earth compared to it. This tonight... Is a holy of holies because we've gathered to meet in his name and this sacred dwelling of you people coming, no matter if it's few or many, tonight this has become the holy of holies and the Shekinah glory of God can move through this place and you won't even know what he may do. He is here because he said we're a sacred holy of holies. Who knows? Who knows what God may do in a meeting? Huh? You may have come burdened tonight, and before the presence of God is through in this meeting, you may leave here as light as a feather. <laughs> have you ever had that happen, by meeting with the saints? Yes, yes. I mean, prayer, I mean, see, uh, we're, we're a teaching church, and man, we're big on teaching, preaching, and we do a wonderful job worshiping. We're freer than we've ever been. Uh, we used to be a lot more conservative, not as much hand-raising, because I overreacted, I think, to my roots. I just want Bible, Bible, Bible. Well... Bible, Bible by itself, you can dry up. you got to pray. If you just pray, you know, you uh, blow up. But if you have the Bible and prayer, you grow up. (laughs) And and, uh, you want both. You get a crowd over here that's all, we are cognitive. A crowd over here, we emotional. Don't make such dichotomies. I want both. I want both. When I kiss my wife, it takes a certain amount of direction. I have to know where her lips are. But there is also an emotional payoff. And all the men said, amen. Uh, So the temple of God is his people there. And then 6, 19, he's telling them to flee immorality. Then he goes to 19, that great passage. Do you individually, now this is you singular. Do you not know that your body... There's two bodies God deals with in the New Testament. The church, which is his body, and your individual body. And now he's talking about your individual body. It is a holy of holies. That word temple here is naos. It means the inner sanctum. Do you not know that your body is the inner sanctum of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Uh, It is so profound to know that you are indwelt and that God has turned your body into a worship center where God's manifest presence shows up and he does something in you, in your body, in worship, in praise, in your Christian life that is unexplainable. That you can sense another person is living inside of you. That's what he wants you to know. you got ever right. You're not being mystical. You're being biblical. The Holy Spirit lives inside the bodies of believers. You see, there are only two kinds of people in the world, according to God, really. The people of the flesh who don't have the spirit. And the spirit people. The spirit people are us. Those who know God and are indwelt by him. Only two kinds of people. The natural man. And the man of the spirit. And only when believers act a little crazy, we call them carnal. But that's not even a legitimate uh, category. Get out of it. Get out of sin. We're never going to call you carnal and say, oh, we know you'll get over it. No, that's wrong. You're people of the spirit. You know why churches split? They get in the flesh. You know why churches die? We start acting like the flesh, but we're people of the spirit. You can never do anything in the flesh that God will ever just say that's a small thing. You are spirit people. We're to walk in the spirit, pray in the spirit, live in the spirit, war in the spirit, act towards one another in the fruit of the spirit, sing in the spirit, psalms in the spirit, submit to one another in the spirit. We have eight works of the flesh are fighting works of the flesh. The thing that keeps churches together are not constitutions. It's when people manifest the spirit. And if you don't manifest it long enough, we have every right to discipline you out and say you're not even saved. You have no right. There are no spirit-filled, factious people. There are no spirit-filled grumblers. There's no spirit-filled critics. Those are all works of the flesh condemned by the scripture. We submit to one another. We pray for one another. We bear one another's burdens. If one of this community is overcoming a fault, you know what the Spirit of God does? Every member of the body, not just three people that we call spiritual, everybody that's got the Spirit is made like those blood vessels and those blood cells that come and rally at infection point. We rally as a people to the one that's been overcome in a fall and we will bear them up. No feeding frenzy in the body. We're not of the flesh. We're of the spirit. The best place in town for you to fail is right here. The best place in town. Because you'll have a bunch of saints at a rally to help you. Unless you're in a legalistic church that's operating by rules instead of the Spirit. Well, that's all free, but it's still good. Uh, The Spirit abides in the believer. We looked last week that the Spirit baptizes everyone into the body of Christ. We've been baptized into the Spirit. Jesus said that would happen. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So drinking of the spirit is a figure that emphasizes indwelling. But this other work is the spirit immersed you into the body of Christ. And, uh, The whole race is seen either in Adam or Christ now. And the new man is Christ. The Spirit has immersed you into him. And you've got a brand new identity. And what he says, all things have passed away. What he means, you will never again be a person that walks by means or according to the flesh. You're still in a body of weakness. You're still vulnerable to temptation. But your overall life is never again to be according to the flesh. It's according to the spirit because you've been immersed into a body that operates on the spirit. You know, if anyone ever asks you what kind of church we are, say, I hope you can start saying they're spirit filled church. Do you ever say that? Don't say they're conservative. Because they think, oh, they're dead. You can't raise a hand. (laughs) So, no, alive in Christ, got the Holy Spirit. I want everything God can give a New Testament believer. If if he can give it to somebody, I want it if you don't. If you're afraid of it, I'm not. That's what we are. We're spirit people. Surrounded upside down. It's like that 23rd Psalm. You know, above me is anointing oil. Beneath me are green pastures. Besides me is the shepherd. Before me is the house of the Lord. My, the, the poor sheep is surrounded with the shepherd. He can't get away from me. We've also been sealed by the Spirit. Uh, And we wouldn't know this. I didn't experience the stamp of the Spirit hitting me. But it is a marvelous thing to see Ephesians 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is as a divine seal on all of God's children. He himself does not stamp you. He himself is the stamp. He himself is the seal and I just think of it, it's like the Spirit of God is over everyone that has put faith in Christ. And he is that seal that guarantees divine ownership and guarantees eventual delivery. When I put that stamp on there, have you ever got a piece of mail that was nearly shattered by the time you got it? Tore up, bangled. But the stamp guaranteed it would arrive at the expense and protection of the American government. And when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit, God gave him to you. And one of his functions is to seal you as divine property and to guarantee your safe delivery. Uh, I can never think of the sealing work of the Spirit, but of my mother's old-fashioned canning days and that wax they put in the top of the jar. You know, that wax did two things. It kept the ants out and it kept the goodies in. And this seal of the Holy Spirit is to keep you in Christ and to keep the devil out. You've got to be greater than the Holy Spirit to break the seal. He is the seal. No one. Did, that's another strong verse for the security of the believer. That he saved me. He bought me. And he says, let me put the spirit as a guaranteed down payment. This is the earnest money. You know, i I tried to buy a house one time, didn't have any money, but I thought I'd try to buy one anyway. And everything was going good until they asked for earnest money. I couldn't even spell it. <laughs> earnest money. We don't have any earnest in our family. Is that like Ernie? No, this is earnest money guess I need an earnest check. I said, uh, earnest check? Uh, uh, let me go home and pray about it. <laughs> I called later. I said, uh, we don't feel led to buy didn't have any money. I didn't know they needed a deposit. And guess what? We have had this down payment on us until the day of redemption. It guarantees your delivery. Uh, The filling of the Spirit. I'm going to develop this more uh, next week. But let me say some things to you about the filling of the Spirit. Just uh, off the cuff here. As I see the New Testament there seems to only be three uh, ethical forces that you've got to deal with in the New Testament. The law, Torah, the flesh, and the spirit. And it seems to me like everything the writings of Paul and the New Testament seem to say is the Christian ethic, our basis for godly behavior, is not related to the law and it has nothing to do with the flesh. That the people of God are not under the law. Romans 7, Galatians 5, Romans 6 14. You are under grace, not under law. Is the law good? It's perfect. It's acceptable. It's wonderful. But it is powerless to produce Christ likeness. It is powerless to change your character. All it can do is tell you you are a bozo and you're not doing it. But it cannot give you the power to do it. And that's why he said, how is it God has taken something good and wonderful to prove that I am an utter rebel? Romans 7. He said he did it by the law.